Introducing Brian Breaker, the biggest icon in wrestling. Daniel Ross. This is the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. What is going on? What are you doing? We will not go quietly into the night. Hang on! Houston, you have a problem. Boom shakalaka! I'm sweating like a pig here. It's a long time. Mr. Phoenix! Eat the pizza. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again for the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. My name is Brian, and joining me this week on this weekly dose of nostalgia is my good friend Daniel Cross. Daniel, are you ready for some Saturday morning nostalgia? I'm ready for nostalgia. Pants encouraged. Pants are optional. Definitely optional. Definitely encouraged, though. Um so we spun the wheel uh, last week, obviously, and well, before we get into that, let's talk about some of the other um, topics we've had recently. Last week, we discussed the arcade and movie theaters, two things that kind of go hand in hand, also two things you don't see as much of these days. I mean, I think movie theaters are still prevalent, but I don't feel like they're uh, quite the attraction they were in the 90s. No, I'm kind of hoping uh, movie theaters has a uh, regenesis of some kind, mm-hmm. that it's not one of those things that kind of floats away into nostalgia like like the arcade or like uh, video rental stores and things like that. So, yeah. yeah, I'm hoping they stick around, but it's not looking good. No, it's one of those things where I think the only, literally the only thing hanging on is, uh, is the fact that that's the only place you can see a new movie. And... With them coming out to streaming within three months, I think most people are like, eh, oh, wait, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Well, yeah, we just, uh, you know, we didn't go and see the new Ant-Man. I don't even know the name of it. That's Quantum something. Quantum something, yeah. Quantum Leap. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, see, anyway, we didn't uh, even go and see that because it's like, well, we have Disney Plus, And, you know, sure enough, it's uh, I think it just hit this past Friday. So yeah. we'll probably actually sit down and watch that tonight. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely Yeah, the need to see it isn't isn't quite there like it once was. No. Well I remember it used to be a really long time before they came out to video. I feel like yeah. six plus months sometimes. So like you really did need to go to the theater. Now it's really that's not the case. Yeah, and you know, we've just we've you know, the way we consume entertainment's different now and mm-hmm. you know, that that all plays into it. I feel like we're all busier now, whether we are or we aren't, I don't know, but, you know, it's hard to sometimes carve out an afternoon to go watch a movie. Yeah, it's definitely different, and I think because we've gotten so used to on-demand entertainment, because it's funny, I know you have young kids, um, I always go back to my niece and nephew, they don't understand the thought of, like, having to be home to watch your favorite show. Because yeah. everything's on demand for them. And it's it's kind of crazy to think that it's like, wow, I remember when that kind of became a thing. <laughs> you know, like, it's so interesting that that's how it works now. But, I mean, it makes did you sense. Ever, uh, did you ever have this happen to you? Like, I remember once I was so mad. I used to have, uh, <clears throat> I didn't have cable growing up, so my grandma would record wrestling for me. Uh, she would record Monday Night Raw. So I always called it Tuesday Afternoon Raw because I would... <laughs> After uh, school right. on Tuesday, I would run to her her house to watch Monday Night Raw from the the week before or the night before. So uh, you know this again. This is the the things that we had to deal with. 
but uh, put the tape in, and for whatever reason, it only recorded like the first 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and then it just stopped for some reason. I don't know if my grandma, maybe she sat on a remote and it stopped, you know, recording sure. that night or something. But uh, it just stopped like right in the middle of this tag team battle royal or something, and oh, I was so mad. I went outside. I grabbed the tape out. I grabbed I uh, grabbed a baseball bat and I just smashed it. Oh wow. <laughs> Serious I, I had some anger. I think I had anger issues back then when I was uh, 12. <laughs> you, well, it's different, though, because, like, at the time, that was, like, if you missed Raw, there was, like, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I was, like, you know, with uh, the the advent of social media, you really there's really no reason to watch wrestling um, because uh-huh. it's all going to be right there 10 seconds later. So in this day, however, like, if you didn't watch Raw, they might recap some of it next week, but only the high points. So you missed a lot if you missed Raw. Yeah, and then I had to wait till Saturday for a shotgun uh, on Saturday afternoons to catch just the highlights. So I want to say, if I remember right, the, the night it didn't record, there was, like, everyone at school was talking because it was 1998. You know, wrestling was hot. And everybody was talking. Uh, oh, they had a hell in the cell. That's what it was, yeah. It was Hell in the Cell between Mankind and Kane. Oh, that's right. And I think that that was the main event. So I was like all day at school. Like I just I just wanted out of school. I had to like run to my grandma's to see it. You know, everyone was talking about how awesome it was, how they had a Hell in the Cell match on Raw. So, yeah, sure enough, as soon as I, I get home, put in that tape, I'm pumped. 15 minutes in, it just cuts off. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> Of, of all raws, of all raws, not to you know, not to get recorded, you know, it was one that they had the hell in the cell on raw. So, yeah. oh yeah, I was very upset as a twelve-year-old boy. Yeah, it's upsetting times, you know, and I think that's the interesting thing about how we consume entertainment now is because nothing's a uh, a rush. Nothing, you know, it's like a if you're trying to follow a television show, it's going to be available the next day somewhere. If not, like the whole season is going to be available on something sometime soon. So it's really not a a big deal. Like nothing is, everything is missable now because there's no like urgency, which in turn makes it, you know, less important to watch. And so I think that's kind of why that, that whole industry might be going away. Like uh, I may have told this last week, I can't remember, but I, I remember during the COVID era, you know, our movie theaters opened, but they didn't have new movies. So it's kind of like one of those weird things because, you know, I live in Oklahoma. We opened up a little bit before a lot of the other places. So it was, the theaters were uh-huh. open, but there was no new movies. And they were showing, like, Back to the Future and, like, Terminator 2. And I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of cool to go see Back to the Future. Yeah, that the is kind of cool. And, yeah, and I'm thinking, like, I was telling my dad, it's like, that'd be fun. It's like, yeah, we should take the kids to go see uh, Back to the Future. I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. And then it's like movie tickets are still, like, 10, 12 bucks. You know, movie snacks are, you know, oh, yeah. outrageously expensive. It's like, you know, let's just watch the, let's just watch it on Netflix. You know, because it's not, that's the thing is like, it's not that special anymore to go to a theater. Even though I love Back to the Future, it's like, man, that's a, that's a, a lot of money for an, an evening out. You know, here's the other thing that I don't, I've never thought of until right now. But, you know, for the most, you know, for the most part, all of us were watching 26 inch televisions. Yeah, like that—that that was kind of the big thing, and now are uh, you know the biggest that most people got. Obviously, you had your rich friend down the street who might have got a big screen or something, um, but generally, most of us were watching just on these little square TVs. So, I mean, to go to the movie theater and see like this huge screen was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Where now, I feel like most all of us probably have anywhere from a forty-eight to a seventy-two inch 
TV because TVs have just gotten, you know, bigger and cheaper. Yeah, well, and their so, flat screens are high def. I mean, like yeah. you said, it's not as big of a deal to see a movie theater screen anymore. So, yeah, I never, like I said, never really put that together. I actually, I was just looking this up. It's just insane to me that back then uh, a 26-inch TV in the 80s was like $700, something like that. Yeah. Six to 700 for 26 inches, which is like the size of a computer monitor. Yeah. Uh, it's just nuts. And, you know, today, you know, you take inflation into account. That's like, that'd be like going and spending $2,000 on a 26-inch TV. Uh, you know, that's something just, you know, we wouldn't do now because now you can get a 60-inch TV at Walmart for five or 600 and it's, you know, three times as big. I'll tell you this. When uh, when I got my stimulus money back in, like, 2021, I uh, I bought a 75-inch flat screen. Yep. And it was less than $600. So I know. I mean, like, so like you said, like, if I'm watching a movie, it's not like I'm watching – Ant-Man on, like you said, a 26-inch Magnavox. I'm watching it on a, on a very nice television, so it is it is definitely different. Yeah, actually, we uh, I think we had a 48-inch uh, flat screen for a little while, and then uh, my wife's dad had upgraded from like a 60 to a 72, so he gave us his, like, it might have even been more than that, 66-inch, I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever they are. But, uh, man, that thing has spoiled us so much. Oh, yeah. I, uh, when we moved, I moved back to Concordia. Oh, I just wanted to shoot myself, but uh, I we hung the TV up, and it was me and a friend. It was just a little crooked, and I was like, ah, oh, dang it. I said, well, let's take it down. Let's see if we can't fix it. We laid it face first on the entertainment center, and I don't know what happened, but it cracked it, oh, and we went, no. to, we went to put it back up, and then we had this weird, you know, thing in the corner of the screen where the crack was. And I was like, ah, and then, cause I was like, I just, I can't go back to a 40 inch TV uh, or 48 inch TV now. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the problem is what's I funny know. is when I bought my TV, uh, for whatever reason I bought like, cause I never mounted one on the wall, but I figured the uh-huh. house I'm in now, I plan to stay there. So, um, I'll just mount it on the wall. So my dad helped me. We put the mount on. It wasn't too difficult. Well, for whatever reason, this mounts on like the bottom of the television, and I'm telling you, like when yeah. we when we put it on there, we were I was like, oh no, this may not fit. I mean, we could have moved the mount down, but that's like so much extra work, you know? Right. But we were like <laughs> maybe a half inch from clearing to like hooking it to the mount. Uh. I was like, oh, that would have been horrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it looks great up there. And like even when, I, when we hung it up, my dad's like, wow, like that is huge. And I'm like, I know this is amazing. <laughs> but again, like you said, it's hard. Like if I I think my my previous television was like a 38 inch or something. And, uh-huh. and it was fine for what it was, but it'd be hard to go back to that now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's where I was at. I was, so as soon as that broke, I was like, ah, well, let's go see what they got because it's yeah, going to well, yeah. cost me. And, you know, we spent five, spent five or $600. But, again, you think of that, you know, back in the 80s, spending five or $600 back then, you know, that's just insane. Or, like, VHS tapes back then were, like, $30, yeah. you know, when they first came out new. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just... It's weird. I'm like, where's all of our money going? Because we were spending a lot of money back then <laughs> on stuff that we either are spending the exact same amount today, which is actually then cheaper because of inflation, mm-hmm. or, you know, we just don't, you know, we don't go and buy $15 CDs anymore. We don't go and buy, you know, $20 tapes. Uh, but yet it seems like all of us have less money. So I don't know. 
It's a weird, weird set of events. I think we're spending it on food now. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you used to be able to get uh, food a lot cheaper, but entertainment was uh, about still about the same. Because like, I, I always think it's funny that if you were to go buy a brand new PlayStation 5 game, it's going to be about 60 bucks. Uh-huh. If you bought a brand new Sega Genesis game in 1992, about 60 bucks. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, so that's, I don't know. Yeah, that's the weird thing I've been thinking of lately. All those kind of, it's like we spent the exact same amount in the 80s that we're doing now on the same thing, whether it's TVs, video games. But yet, somehow, we all have less money. Yeah. Well, but I mean, gas, oh, gas was 80 cents a gallon, right. and, you know, food was... My dad used to flip out at my mom when she would spend a hundred dollars on groceries. Yo, that's you know, that's, and that was and that would last that us now. for like, yeah. Oh no, you can't even like go and buy a you know a couple of days worth of food for a hundred dollars. But yeah. yeah, it's just crazy. We're getting I, hosed somewhere. Yeah, I know. I uh, being a single person, I'll oftentimes buy a few things for lunch for work, a couple of snacks, maybe some drinks, and yeah, it's like eighty dollars usually. Yep. I mean, it just it goes quickly, you know. That's just the thing about it. Food is not cheap. But we have a we have an interesting topic to discuss this week. It is backstage stories. If people don't know, me and Daniel spent many years uh, in the wrestling industry, and there was a good period of time there where we were um, working as extras, is what they call it. When you're you go backstage to WWE and you're quote unquote extra talent. Um, not as glamorous as people might think. Would you agree with that? Yeah, not at all. Um, I think before, maybe even before we get into those stories, I, you know, I think it's always, again, if you're not in the know, and I can only speak of what I know from like 04 to 07, you might have been, or 08, I guess, you might have been backstage, you know, after that. But so kind of the, the general practice when you're, you know, an extra talent is they will, uh, well, for us anyway, they called up Harley mm-hmm. and they said, hey, I need three guys, I need seven guys, I need whatever. Yeah. In, uh, you know, Des Moines, Iowa or wherever it may be. So, right. you know, either you go up the night before, which usually it was not the case <clears throat> unless it was like an eight or ten hour trip. Trevor Murdoch, and we none of us were rich, by the way, he would always want to go up the night before. He wanted a good night's rest and then he wanted to, you know, then hit the arena and sleep in and then hit the arena at noon, which is when we were the call time or check-in problem is none of us wanted to buy a hotel because right. <laughs> even though, cause he looked at it as well, you know, we're going to get our two fifty cause that's what they paid you. Yeah. And you know, we'll just kind of take it out of that. But I'm like, I want to, you know, I want to save that two fifty. So whenever I could, I would just, you know, the guys would just leave at six in the morning or wherever we were going. Yeah. <clears throat> but usually you checked in at noon. Um, at the time it, it kind of varied, but you check in with Tony Gurria, I think was the guy doing it. A lot when I did it. Um, I'm trying to think who else they kind of had in that position. But you give them your names, you know, you check in, and then basically you just kind of mess around, walk around the arena, which, again, I never understood why we had to be there at noon. Because like, the uh, ring's not even set up yet. Yeah, like nothing's going on. Um, and then about 3 o'clock, usually at the catering set up, you'll go get some catering, which is always pretty good. Oh, yes. um, and then about three in the afternoon, you throw on your gear, you go down to ringside, and usually just start stretching out on the floor. And uh, that's when they'll kind of tell you what to do. You know, it was kind of <laughs> this. Okay, so here's my first story. It's kind of like one of those. Uh, I think they just like to put extra talent at times in uncomfortable situations. Hundred um, percent. 
Because you will have, you'll be on the outside stretching, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll have one guy come down and tell you, you know, hey, why aren't you in the ring? You know, why aren't you, you know, you got this ring, you've got this great opportunity, all these, all these people are watching you, you know, get in that ring and, and roll around with each other and, you know, show everybody what you got. Yeah. So you'll have one guy tell you that, okay. So then if you do roll in the ring and you start messing around, you'll have another guy right after that come and tell you, hey, what are you doing? They're doing lighting and setting up and, it's like, you know, don't get in that ring until someone tells you to. And you're like, okay. So, so it's like, <laughs> right. And that, that's just one of a hundred type of scenarios that you would run into as a wrestler. Yes. And you're already on, you're already on eggshells cause you're nervous and you know, and all these know that. things. Right. It's kind of like if you start a brand new job and we've all been there when you start a new job, you're like to me and I'm sure you're this way. Like I'm going to be there like early, early, because I don't want anything to factor into me being late on the first day, right? Right. So, if they're like, hey, be here by, you know, 7. It's like, okay. So, I'm like, I'm 6.15, I'm leaving the house. Like, and it's like a 20-minute drive, but I'm thinking, like, okay, what if I have a flat tire? What if, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yep. thinking of all these factors, because I don't want to be late, I guess. And so... I think with being an extra, it's very it's a very nerve wracking situation. Um, I can tell you a lot changed from '08 to 2012 when I did it. Uh, the first thing that changed that's most notable is the 250 because that got switched down to 200. Oh, that's and nice. they didn't give you cash on site; they mailed you a check about a month. Yeah, ago. I heard that. Yeah, um, not terrible. Like if as long as you were prepared for it. I know our first time. We were not because when I first, the very first time I went, it was still two fifty, and they gave us a hundred dollars cash and they mailed us the one fifty, which I was fine with. But um, after, when you don't know that, a lot of guys were anticipating a hundred dollar bill that they didn't get. Yeah. So, like you said, a lot of us being broke, if we had to get a hotel or food or whatever, we were kind of. Out of luck, you know, and, and just like, well, I guess you're screwed because you don't have any money. And that was always kind of a terrible thing. Yeah, we would get uh, – so it was really nice. A lot of times we got uh, Raw and SmackDown because mm-hmm. I guess it's – I don't know if it's still the same, but you would do Monday Night Raw, then you would go and do SmackDown. And each night was 250 So, And usually, you know, if you were doing Raw and SmackDown, you had to get a hotel Monday night. So that's why, again, I did not want to waste a hotel yeah. on Sunday night. Right. Because I was already going to have to pay for one hotel. And granted, you're splitting one hotel amongst four guys usually. Right. Uh, but sometimes it was just you and another guy. So yeah. um, if you knew, you know, if you were, could network and you knew some guys in the area, like sometimes we would drive back an hour to St. Louis or something if we were in Illinois and we knew a couple guys in St. Louis. And right. we would cra- crash with them and then go up to Sioux City, Iowa or something. But, but yeah, you get two two fifty a night. So the goal was, you know, to come home with as much money as you can, you know. Sure. By the, by the time you ate, you're hoping to come home with about $400. Well, um, and, and you have to factor in, as broke as we were, when we got that 400 500 bucks, whatever it was, we thought we were freaking rich. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah, that was huge money. Well, and I was working at Pizza Hut at the time, and that's what I would tell them. Yeah. I was like, hey, I just got a call. I can't be here tomorrow night. I'm supposed to be on, you know, I'm supposed to go to WWE. Yeah. And, uh. They're like, well, that's kind of short notice. I'm like, well, are you going to pay me $250 to be here tomorrow night? You are not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I also know um, what was crazy. Around 08, 09, they started doing pay-per-views in St. Louis and Kansas City a little bit. 
So um, yep. we were oftentimes able to get on the pay-per-view plus the Raw and SmackDown. So now you're looking at a $600 nice. week. And I remember there was one period where, um, you know, uh, pretty much they, they stopped calling Harley. They would kind of call us directly, which was better than we would just kind of go tell Harley, hey, this is what's going on. They were like, oh, okay, cool. And we um, we got the call that we were going to do Money in the Bank, Raw and SmackDown. And then like a week later, they were in Tulsa in Oklahoma City. So I, I was like, would it be possible for me to do that too? Because that's where I'm from. They're oh, sure, absolutely. So I was able to get like $1,000 <laughs> from them in like a week. Nice. It was insane. But, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those things, like I said, that money was very, very beneficial to us because we were uh, pretty broke at the time. Did you ever hear how Dory Funk handled uh, those bookings with his students? Yeah, he took money from them. I did know that. Uh-huh. He uh, he took their two fifty because they would contact him. He would make WWE pay him directly, mm-hmm. so he would take each person's two fifty per day, and then he would tell the students, "Hey, I got you booked on Raw and SmackDown. You owe me fifty dollars if you want to take that booking." So this not only was he taking their money, he made the students pay him $50 because, hey, he's got this great opportunity. And I think that was more of his wife than him. That's what I've always heard. But, yeah, yeah, he was uh, a little bit of a shyster. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm sure there's a lot of people that did that. I know the Hardy Boys used to get booked from a guy, and they'd all get paid cash, and he'd pull over about two miles down the road like, hey, everybody owes me X amount of dollars, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just just kind of a carny aspect of the business, I guess. Again, that was the great thing about Harley. He never, you know, he never wanted your money. He never asked for your, you know what I mean? Yes. It's like, I'm sure Harley could have, you know, he wasn't rolling in the paydays, you know, even later in life. But uh, I'm sure he could have, you know, worked worked his way in there to get deals from WWE. Or oh, yeah. Like, like you know, that's all part of the, you know, the booking fee or whatever you want to call it. Harley could have said, okay, you want five of my guys. I want $50 out of each of their paydays. Yeah. You know, and if you're booking eight to sometimes 16 guys, I remember there was one Raw where there were 16 of us. Yep. Um, you know, that would have been some serious cash, you know, for Harley. But oh, for he was sure. always great. He never wanted to take money out of our pockets. He paid us, you know, what he could. Um, just really appreciated that about him. Well, and, and as you know, if we ever had a show that did better than expected, he he would throw a little bit more to us usually. And Yeah, or even crappy. like yeah. Like, he never, I remember once, you know, we did, like, 30 people. So, I mean, 30 times 10 bucks, or 10, uh, 10 bucks a ticket, you know, $300. But he still gave each guy, he's like, hey, you know, we did pretty good on on uh, concessions or something, which are not concessions, but T-shirts. Yeah. Uh, and he gave every guy, like, 40 bucks, yeah. which, you know, it's like he didn't, he should have just, any other promoter but hey, guys, house suck tonight, we can't pay you. Yeah, oh, for sure. He always. <laughs> but he always gave us something. No. Yeah, he he always did. He and like I remember any time I went to WWE, like did you get paid? I'm like yes, sir. Okay, you if they if they ever don't pay you, you let me know. Like he was gonna take <laughs> care of that. Like I'm like no, it's it's all good. But what's funny is I've even told guys before. I was like it's funny. Like back in the day, he had a bunch of those classic superstars, uh, King Harley race figures. Yep, he would sign those for twenty bucks. Figure and autograph. That would go for so much now. Like, oh yeah, at an autograph signing. Granted, at the time that probably seemed like a kind of expensive because the figure was probably ten dollars. But yeah. yeah, he signed it for twenty bucks, and I'm like, oh, that's crazy. And it was one of those things I never bought one because I was always like, oh, I'll get one next time. And you know, eventually they ran out, so that was kind of a mistake on my part. But you know, 
live and learn, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of a shame Harley couldn't make it. You know, the Comic-Con scene kind oh, of yeah. was was kind of just ramping up as he was winding down, you know. It's too bad he couldn't make some more of those WrestleCons and stuff like that. He would have made some serious cash. No doubt. No doubt about it. Um, as far as backstage stories, uh, I have many. I, I want to share this one just because it's hilarious to me, and uh, it's so so freaking random. It was my second time ever as an extra. And it involves the one and only Mike Adamley, uh, who yes. was an ECW commentator and eventually became the Raw general manager and was also, at one point, the host of American Gladiators. Heck, yeah, he was. Played in the NFL. Um, so here's the story, because um, there's a lot of context to this. I, we It was in St. Louis. We're driving to St. Louis that morning. You know, they have to be there by noon, so we're leaving by about like 8.39, whatever time we had to leave, you know, to make sure we have plenty of time. And we were going to make it there on time, but we certainly weren't going to be, like, early, right? So halfway through the trip, I realized, like, oh, my gosh, I forgot to pack gym clothes. I have my gear, and I'm wearing my my dress clothes, but I forgot to bring shorts and a T-shirt. And so now I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to go and wear (laughs) Wear my gear gear out there because I don't even have a T-shirt on. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? So I'm sure you remember there was that little cluster of gas stations in like Kingdom City there that we would uh-huh. stop at. Well, they had a Mizzou shirt, so I was like, okay, well I can wear that. So it's like twelve bucks or whatever. So I buy that. I'm like, that's a t-shirt I can wear. I was hoping they had like some shorts. I couldn't find any shorts. I'm like, oh no, what am I gonna do? Uh, at at the at the Kingdom City, I'm like, Go Shiozaki was actually at that trip, uh-huh. and so I asked him. He goes, Oh, I I have I have pants, and I was like, you have like workout pants? Oh yeah yeah. I was like, you have extra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, thank God. So I'm like, I can wear his workout pants now. So, like, I have something to wear. So I don't feel stupid, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, that's good. So now I've got a sigh of relief. Well, you know, we're doing the typical walking around um, the building kind of like you're – and that's so weird about that. Like you said, being on eggshells, you want to be seen, but also, like, what do you do? So you just kind of are – you feel awkward, right? I mean, that's the best way yep. to describe it. You feel super awkward because you're walking around, but you don't have really anything to do. And so we'd eaten. I'm kind of walking around. I had my workout stuff on, like my boots and then my workout clothes on, like getting ready to go by the ring, which is not even ready yet. And I, and I see Mike Adamley, and he's like, hey, how are you? And I was like, oh, nice to meet you, sir. And what's funny about someone like him is he probably didn't realize I was just an extra, you know, so he's just, <laughs> right. just saying hi to be nice. But super nice guy, like just unbelievably nice. And he looks at me and he goes, good game. And I was like, thanks. And he kind of <laughs> shoots me this really weird look. No, we actually had been in the ring, but they kicked us out for rehearsal. That's what it was. Because we got like 30 seconds in the ring simply because Harley was there. Because it was a night they were taping Raw and SmackDown. They call it a super show. Usually they're yep. going to Europe the next day, which I think is what was happening. And so, like, they were trying to do stuff, and Harley's like, let my guys in the ring. So they let me and Dinty Moore, a.k.a. the Beer City Bruiser, in for, like, maybe 30 seconds. Yeah. And, and then they're like, all right, next two. Okay, next two. Yeah, it's like basically just to satisfy Harley that we got, like, 30 seconds in the ring. So he says, good game. And I'm thinking, is that, like, him saying, hey, I saw you wrestle. Good job. Right. And so I was like, thanks. Like, very confused. <laughs> His look is complete befuddlement when I say that. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and um, he goes, did you see it? And I was like, no, I haven't watched it. But 
I mean, I was out there, so I I know how it went. I think, and I'm kind of like, what is he talking about? I'm not, I'm not following him at all at this point. And but I also think you know this is a guy that fumbles a lot on television, so I could see the boys telling him stuff to make him sound goofy, you know? And, uh-huh. and I'm like, okay. And he, we shake hands. He's like, okay, see you later. And he's kind of looking like, whoa, what a weirdo. And I look down and I realize, oh my God, I'm wearing a Mizzou shirt. He was talking about the Mizzou game. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it, it immediately dawned on me what he was talking about. I was like, oh, that was so weird. Luckily, I never saw him again. So like it, the awkwardness kind of was over, but it was like, that was a really awkward, uh, awkward time for sure. So I got to ask, uh, who were the biggest jerks and who were the nicest stars that you met during your time? I'll be honest. I didn't meet a lot of jerks. Like, I mean, there were some guys that were a little bit more quiet and then some guys that would like just avoid eye contact, like the plague. Uh-huh. But most of the guys I met were pretty cool. Like I don't, I don't okay. have any, any, um, guys being jerks stories. I, uh, I don't know, like, in, in, and you know this too. When Harley's there, the tone's different. Everyone's super nice because sure. it's Harley. So, yep. and I don't know how many times he got us, you know, like, hey guys, come over here and meet the Undertaker, and we'd go shake hands, and he'd talk to us, ask us how long we've been wrestling and stuff like that. But, um, it was always different, kind of depending on the situation. But I don't remember too many situations where guys were jerks. I, I will yeah. say this: though. all right, if someone was kind of short or acted a little better than us. It was usually cause they were like really low on the card. And I remember Trevor talked about uh-huh. that. He goes, anytime someone's like that, it's because they're Isn't so weird. They're so low on the card is cause they, they want to feel better than somebody. So they pick the extras. Yeah. So I got, uh, it was a lot of, like I said, just putting you in uncomfortable situations. I remember like Matt Stryker again, low card guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Stryker was very condescending when he talked to us. Yeah. Like, like he was, okay. So like we were sitting in the, uh, like the arena in the stands and we were up, I don't know, maybe in the 10th row or something. And this was before the show, you know, we were all sitting around Yeah. and he starts making his way towards us walking up the stairs. Right. And we're like, Oh, okay, cool. So he comes over and he sits down. He's like, Hey guys, when you see me walking, you shouldn't have made me come up. You know, I shouldn't have had to come up these stairs to greet you. You should have met me on the floor. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, That's sorry, so mis- weird, sorry, Mr. Stryker. I didn't realize that. Cause people are, at a, it's not like he, we knew he was coming to talk to us. People are walking by, going to the ring, coming out of the ring. You know what exactly. I mean? Like people are walking, texting. They weren't on their phones probably back then as far as social media, but they were at least texting and stuff. Um, I don't know, you know, stuff like that. Or John Cena, he was a little condescending, so this would have been like 05. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just like, I think it was me and Derek McQuinn. He just, you know, came, hey, guys, this, you know, welcome to the land of opportunity. You're like, okay, well, thanks. And he was like, this will probably be the last time I ever see you. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, well, we, you know, hope not, and, you know, just here to learn or whatever. I don't know, but <clears throat> so here's my – uh probably my, my most infamous story. Um, not that it was a huge deal or was, you know, but anyway, was, was at a time when I was, you know, 1920, I think I told this story a couple of years ago on one of your podcasts, but, um, it was me and Ace deal. We were up for actually Ace the night before did the Donald Trump 
and Rosie O'Donnell thing. Oh, so that's that, right. I remember that, yeah. Which that was kind of funny because they brought him up specifically for that. Uh, he had had a good contact with Nova, uh, Simon Dean. So Simon Dean was doing whatever he was doing at the time, an agent or talent relations or something. Mm-hmm. So he called Ace and asked if he wanted to be Donald Trump a couple of days before Raw, that they that they needed a Donald Trump. So they told Ace to go buy a suit and, you know, a red tie, because that's what Donald Trump wore, and uh, they would take care of the wig and all that. So Ace went, bought this really nice suit. They reimbursed him for it when he got to the building, and, you know, that was good. But then there's also another guy there walking around in the same suit with a red tie. And then I think Ace went up to Nova and was like, hey, what's what's up with that guy? And like, well, we brought him up just in case. He's like, but don't worry, it's it's going to be it's going to be you. Yeah. And I remember this guy was like really disappointed because he thought he was playing Donald Trump that night. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and that's one of those things where I know it's kind of a goofy part, but you know for sure you're going to be on TV. And like yeah. honestly, like TMZ and other places could pick this up. So yeah, they got this. Uh, it was actually a backyard wrestler, I think. I could be totally wrong. Okay, don't quote me. But I want to say she was like a backyard wrestler to play Rosie O'Donnell. Mm. Uh, but she looked just like her. And then uh, Ace, I want to say they probably brought both of them because they were like, you know, they, they weren't totally sold who's going to look more like Donald than the other. Sure. But Nova told Ace, you know, don't worry about it. You'll be you'll be uh, Donald Trump tonight. So anyway, they went and did that. Um, Ace actually, I think, got a, he got a dark match the next night. And then I think he got his contract after SmackDown. Oh, nice. Or got his developmental deal. Um, I did not have so much great luck, <laughs> but uh, so this would have been like '05. I, I could be mixing up the dates, but I'm pretty. I know Ace was there for sure. So that's why I want to say it was when uh, he did the Donald Trump thing. But anyway, we were at SmackDown and uh, we were all in the ring, and they had the great Kali there. And Kali had not been on TV yet. They were still training him, you know, to make him learn how to do like three moves which apparently was very difficult. <laughs> right. But uh, all, all things considered, though, he was a really nice guy. You know, there's a language barrier there, but, you know, it is what it is. He was just a clumsy 7-foot, 400-pound man. Right. So they had him in the ring, and all the extra talent was outside the ring. And then a couple of contracted guys, I think Paul London and Kid Cash, and we were just doing one of these tag matches where, like, nobody's on a team, but, you know, for those who, I know what you know, you know what I'm talking about, but people are just tagging in and out and wrestling around. Mm-hmm. So everybody that tagged in and wrestled Kali, they all did the exact same thing. They played the coward. They acted like they're afraid. They all went for, like, a single leg takedown on him. Of course, he doesn't budge. He hits him in the back, bumps him around. They tag out. Well, and it's also one of those things because he's so large, you're trying to, like, keep yourself safe, you know? Yep. Well, and he's, you know, there's no, you can't like mumble under your breath like, uh, hey, I'm going to charge you, hit me with a shoulder tackle. Right. Because he doesn't understand you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's none of that. And he's, and he's, you know, it's his first, you know, week on the job or whatever it was then. So you can't do anything with him other than just kind of grab him and let him throw you around. Mm-hmm. So watching three or four guys, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to do something different. I didn't exactly know what, but I was like, I'm not going to just go for his leg like the last three guys have done. And Harley's there. Arn Anderson's there. A few other guys had made their way. Booker T. Uh, What I didn't realize, The Undertaker started walking down to the ring at that time to see this because they were all looking at Kali because, you know, everyone's eyes were on him at that time. Right. 
I, I tag in, I go in, and I just shove Kali in the chest, you know, because I'm going to be the opposite of a coward. And then he doesn't understand, so I shove him again, okay, and then he shoves me back, and then I do the big, you know, 10-foot back bump, bump into the ropes, you know, yeah, yeah. super strong. Uh, he throws me off into the ropes. He gives me a clothesline right in my face, and <laughs> almost that's the hardest I've ever been hit ever in wrestling. <laughs> I mean, he he knocked. I think he knocked me out. I don't know. I was, Probably. I so. definitely like saw. It was like I saw. It was like, it, and plus he was like a bodybuilder at the time. Oh yeah. So I know in his later years he was kind of fat and stuff, or got got a uh, little loose meat on him. <laughs> but at that time, I mean, he was a solid, you know, rock. So he oh, hit yeah. me in the face with a bicep. It was like hit me in the face with a tree. Well, he and, also uh, didn't know how to work yet, and so I think. The th- no. problem with with something like that is like you're just assuming, hey, this clothesline's going to probably be there, but not like this. But he's such a large human being; if he doesn't know how to do this right, this is really going to hurt. No, and he almost had to like drop to a knee to even give me a clothesline, sure, like in the chest. Um, so it wasn't in my chest; it was right in my face. He about knocked me out. He picks me up and he gives me a chop. And here's where I made the mistake as a green guy. I did not bump. You know, if a seven-foot guy chops, you should bump. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I hadn't had a lot of experience wrestling seven-foot people <laughs> at that point in time. Yeah, and you're still young so, in the business, you know. like Sure. You know, I'd been in the business maybe a year or so. But uh, anyway, so I chop him back. He chops me. We do it three or four times. Booker T is yelling at me. He's like, bump, kid, bump. So finally, I'm like, oh, okay. He, he chops me, and I bump. And then, I don't know, I tag out or something. Anyway, at this point, Booker T was laughing at me. He was like, Bob, geez, come on. <clears throat> so they were all laughing. And I was like, oh, okay. And Undertaker was right there. He didn't say anything. Um, anyway, that was kind of it. We wrapped up whatever we were doing. And then I rolled out of the ring, and Harley was there talking to Arn Anderson. And Arn was, you know, he was, like, very complimentary. Like, I thought I did a great job. He's like, man, great job in there, kid. Wait, take it to the big guy. He's like, I'm going to see if I can't get you a match tonight. And I'm like, oh man, I'm I might actually be getting a look here. Yeah. And uh, well, and he got me. not to cut you off, but like Arn Anderson was yep. always he's always big on at least from my understanding of when guys, you know, show something, and so like that was something he sh- you showed something, but that doesn't yep. necessarily mean that's what the company's looking for either. No, as I found out. <laughs> so, <laughs> long story short, I. All afternoon, I was, you know, I thought I did great, right? So nobody said anything to me. I got a match with JBL on SmackDown, which was like 45 seconds. Um, you know, Arn Anderson, like I said, loved it. Harley, after Arn Anderson walked away, he's like, good job in there. No. So I'm like, all right, awesome, man. I, I did something good here. The two schools of thought there. What, what they <laughs> saw and what the company sees may be different. Yep. So, have the match with JBL, like I said, 45 seconds, nothing big. Come to the back, thank JBL. He's actually doing a, I couldn't talk to him much. He Right after our match, he had to do some kind of uh, live thing with Chris Benoit or something. Because mm-hmm. it was actually, it was the week before WrestleMania 22, now that I think about it. Because um, he was getting ready to wrestle him uh, at WrestleMania 22. So, Anyway, that was that, and then I'm sitting there, you know, taking my tape off in the back by the monitor. Mark Henry's there. He said, hey, come over here. I was like, okay, and he said, hey, uh, a lot of us were talking about what you did this afternoon, and I knew enough by his tone I should probably keep my mouth shut. At first, I thought he was going to compliment me, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, okay, 
And he's like, yeah, he said, uh, you know, if that was me or Undertaker in there, we would have killed you. Yeah. And I was like, um, okay. And, was, and, you know, and he kept on going. He said, you know, when you're wrestling, and all he said to me, he's like, I don't know who trained you, you know, but, you know, when you're in there with a guy like that, you know, you better act like you're afraid of him. And, you know, you better not take it to him like you did. And I was, you know, and at that point I didn't defend myself. I didn't say, well, you know, Arn Anderson loved it. Right. Well, because now just, you're just uh, going to bury the hole even deeper. Yep, yep. So it was all, yes, sir, sorry, sir, you know, all that kind of stuff. And at that time, 2005, I just want to put it in the place. I was actually, I was a little upset just because I was like, you know what, Mark, you've been here like seven years and you've done nothing. Right, for sure. Well, but again, uh, but, like, then, but then he did. He did name drop Undertaker. So I was, you know, you know, and I should have, you know, again at that point, there's no point in defending yourself or getting mad. And he was right. I made some mistakes in there. I should have bumped a few times. And I think that's maybe what what bothered people more than the others is that I wasn't bumping for the big guy. Yeah. Uh, when he was chopping me. Uh, but really, me and Kali, we were just two rookies, you know, wrestling. But. Anyway, it's just one of those things where, again, like we talked about in the very beginning, it's like one guy loves what you're doing, one guy hates what you're doing, and you have to somehow kind of navigate that that minefield. So you you brought up a story earlier that I want to touch on just because I feel like this was all designed to make us look foolish, and it was when I was an extra. It was the very first time I was an extra. Uh, This is actually a pretty monumental Monday Night Raw moment, so people may remember it was the night CM Punk cashed in Money in the Bank. So what happens is Edge cuts a promo. This is in Oklahoma City. Cuts a promo on Jim Ross. Batista comes out, beats him up. Punk comes out, cashes in Money in the Bank on Edge, wins the World Heavyweight title. He's your new champion. About hour one or so, uh, Cena comes out to cut a promo saying he would like to be the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. And um, when he's coming out, JBL interrupts. JBL brings out six security guards, which is me and a few other guys, Superstar Steve, Wild Wade Chisholm, et cetera. And, uh-huh. um, and then a few other guys from Texas. And then uh, from there, we all basically grab a hold of Cena while JBL punches him. And we did a live one shot of us grabbing him and taking him all the way uh backstage all the way out the building. So, uh-huh. so I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Like I knew like we we're going to be in the ring with Cena. This is, this is big, you know? And, uh, then at the end of the night, the main events, JBL and CM Punk, uh, Cena comes back out with crime time and they beat us up to kind of in raw live. And so it's weird. Like you said, how some guys will be cool to you and some won't Cena was very cool to us because we were in the ring with him, you know, uh-huh. and, like very nice, very complimentary, JBL was very cool. Uh, Crime Time was very cool. It's it's kind of one of those things. And then, like, other times I met them all, and they were all kind of, like, different acting, which is like, oh, okay. I guess you forgot. <laughs> I was involved right. in that. It's just fine. It is what it is. But um, I remember Cena was very open to whatever. He was like, you know, he's like, guys, grab a hold of me, but I'm going to try to get away. So get me. Hang on to me. And then Michael Hayes was the producer. He's like, do not hurt John. And then one guy's like, well, what if he's like, do not hurt John. And, you know, and that's one of those things, too, if if people don't understand the context. He is the golden goose at this point. This is 2008. He is the guy. Yep. 
to put him in the hands of extras is pretty insane when you think about it. And yeah, so, I think they think they do a lot of that kind of stuff <laughs> where yeah. they make you a little uncomfortable. For sure. And so we do the thing. At, right before we walk out, JBL is right in front of us. He goes, guys, when I go to attack him, I'm going to take my time and take my jacket off. Please don't stand on my, please don't step on my jacket. So I'm like, oh, that's easy enough, right? Don't step on the uh-huh. jacket. Well, Cena is such a freaking ox and so strong. He's literally moving us and throwing us off. Oh, like, yeah. Legitimately, we're all <laughs> trying to get a hold of him. Dude, we stepped on his jacket probably 10, 15 times. Oh, man. Afterwards, I, I was like, I'm sorry. He goes, oh, that was great. It was a great it was a great segment. He was all about it. So I was like, oh, <laughs> thank God, you know. Because, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you're going to take the heat. doesn't matter. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, Cena was throwing you around. You should have watched where you were stepping. You know, it's whatever. But the segment comes off great. Everyone was happy with it. Uh, the next day, um, we keep hearing, hey, great stuff last night. We're like, oh, thanks. So it's SmackDown. So as you know, it's a little less hectic. We're, we're the uh-huh. six or eight of us, however many there were, we're all uh, standing by the ring. Like you said, stretching out, kind of acting like you're loosening up, getting ready for your opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. And uh, Jamie Noble at the time was kind of running the extras. And so he's kind of talking to us a little bit. And he goes, oh, we'll get you guys in there in, in a second. We're like, okay, cool. And he goes, hey, uh, just chill out right here. Don't get in the ring. I'm just kind of stretch out. I'll be right back. Okay. We can follow instructions. That's easy, right? No lie. Vince comes walking up. Uh. <laughs> and he's like, gentlemen, can I have a word? We're like, of course. You're freaking Vince McMahon. Uh, last night was great. It was exactly what I wanted. And he basically started talking about what he liked about it. He was like, you looked like security. You didn't look like wrestlers. Oftentimes I put guys out there and they're doing stuff like wrestlers. That's not what I wanted. I wanted hired thugs that were there to do a job. And that's exactly what it looked like, which I'm like, okay. You know, like we're just like, thanks. You know, like we're just trying to do what you asked for, you know? And he was like, it was great. It was, it was great television. It really told the story. Well, I'm like, thank you, sir. Question. Why is no one in the ring? (laughs) <laughs> and it immediately caught everybody off guard. Well, one guy that was a Texas guy spoke up. Well, Jamie Noble told us to stay outside before he could even finish that. Guys, that's your opportunity. Look, Pat Patterson's right over there. The Undertaker's sitting in the crowd. You know, Triple H is up on the ramp. I'm out here. Maybe one of us sees something. That could be your opportunity. And we're like, yes, sir. Don't tell us twice. We all slide in the ring. Uh-huh. Start tagging in and out. The classic, we don't know what to do, so we'll tag in and out. Guess who walks back up to the ring? Jamie uh-huh. Noble. Guys, what the hell did I tell you? Don't get in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then, like, someone's like, well, you know, Vince came up here and told us. He's like, guys, I told you not to get in the ring. And it's like, you know, it's like that. you just put your head down. You don't know what to do because it's an eggshell yep. moment. And. And I like looking back on it years later, they told they they knew what they were doing. They were messing with us. Of course they were, uh-huh. right? But at the time, what are you supposed to do? If you can figure out how to navigate that, you know, I think and, and I think another issue, and I think you could back this up, when you're a wrestler, like this is like our holy grails to make it to the WWE, right? As far as making yeah. legitimate money in this industry, that's probably your best bet. And and so when you're in that position, you're so eager to get a job you can't not be nervous. Like if you went in with like a totally carefree attitude, nothing would phase you. Right. But you can't be like that because yeah. you wouldn't be in this business if that were the case. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, it's really, it's so weird because at that point in life, we're all 19 to 22. 
you know, we've all got no life experience. Right. Like that situation today as a 38-year-old, if I had the body to be able to actually go in and do it, wouldn't bother me at all. I'd be like, hey, Jamie, sorry about, you know, but, uh, you know, Vince came, wanted to see us in the ring. So, yeah. you know, no big deal. But when you're 20, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Again, that's the problem is and like it, someone spoke up and tried to explain it, but it's like he again, when they cut you off before you can even get your words out, you just kind of feel like it's like, oh, just got to be quiet, put your head down, you know, and and they know that like they can yeah. read the body language and they know you're nervous. And and again, like the last thing you want is for them to say, hey, you're out of here, you know, like kick, kick you out and like don't ever come back. And basically everything you've done in this business up to that point is all for nothing. Yeah. So this was kind of an interesting one. I always thought, anyway, it would make an interesting story. Very short story, but we were, uh, this is when they booked like 16 of us. We were doing a contract signing for Batista and Triple H. And uh, they stuffed all 16 of us in this really small locker room. So this was definitely 2005. <clears throat> and this was when the whole Matt Hardy and Edge thing was going on with yeah. Lita. And uh, I think Matt Hardy had just come back or something, or he had just gotten fired. It was somewhere in there. And I think, you know, most of you all probably know out there, but, yeah, so Matt Hardy was dating Lita. Edge had an affair with Lita in real life, apparently. And then... I still uh, don't know if I buy that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they were working it, if not, but... And then Matt Hardy, you know, got hired back or whatever. Anyway, um... Well, Edge, he was actually in our locker room as the extra. So there were 16 extras and Edge in there. <laughs> he was in the locker so room? So it was just kind of, he was in our locker room. Like changing and everything? Either he, yeah, like he didn't feel comfortable. He didn't say much to us. Uh, he was, he did appear, like I said, if he was working, he was working pretty good because yeah. he could just tell he was going through a lot of crap. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he was with all of us security guards. And he said a couple things to us, like, hey, guys, I'm just going to set up over here tonight. And so either he had gotten kicked out of the locker room or he just didn't feel comfortable in that locker room with the rest of the guys. Yeah, yeah, well, so I think maybe and with Matt <laughs> just coming back, maybe he felt better to give him space. You know, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, so he was in there with us. Um, that was one of the cooler. So I got to do the Master Lock Challenge, but I want to say my coolest extra experience was actually doing that security guard gimmick only because I got to uh, Eric Bischoff was like the general manager and he comes through all of us are lined up ready to go out and at first I thought he was joking but he was like gentlemen tonight this is some serious business you know no smirks no smile you know he's just giving us this rant and he's almost saying it like in a sarcastic way so a couple of us start kind of like smirking a little bit um because we totally misread his body language. <laughs> but uh, you could kind of see, like, part of that. It's kind of like he – it was interesting because it was like I got to see kind of that that WCW Eric Bischoff who mm -hmm. was still in – you could tell he was still struggling with not being in charge of things. <laughs> he was just a talent at this point. And I still yeah. think there was part of me that thinks they brought him back just to humiliate him weekly. Probably. I mean, legit. So could, I mean, he was getting Bronco Busters from May Young. Vince McMahon <laughs> threw him in a dumpster. I mean, I think part of that was like, oh, that guy tried to put me out of business. I'm going to humiliate him for three years straight. So know. you could tell he was, it was just that's how yeah, and that's how it came across to me where it was like he's got no stroke, no power anymore. He's just a 
He's just a talent. Mm-hmm. But he's like, hey, I see this line of 16 guys that are just, you know, indie guys. I can at least have control and power over this situation. Sure. So he gives us, like, this big speech. We're all serious tonight. This is all business. No, you know. Like I said, a few of us thought he was, like, being sarcastic. We're like, yeah, we're just standing in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, we're, we weren't even in a pull-apart. We were just supposed to go in there, stand there, and then walk back out. Yeah. So, anyway, but the coolest part of it, so Eric Bischoff, he, you know, was yelling at us and stuff and told us to be serious. But, you know, the coolest part was it was during commercial they brought us and Eric Bischoff to the ring. So we all walked down the ramp to Eric Bischoff's music, which is some pretty good theme music anyway. Oh, yeah. But but that was the first time I'd ever gotten to, like, actually go down a ramp to music, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on Raw in front of, you know, however many. At that time, there's probably 15, 15 to 18,000 people, and you're going down, you know, going down the ramp with Bischoff and to the music, and that was just a really cool experience because I did some dark matches. I never got music. I usually just went out with the referee. Um, which is very kind of uneventful. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was really cool to be able to go, go down the big raw ramp with music and, you know, get in the ring. And then the, they did the contract signing, which it is, it is pretty cool. I mean, being, uh, being a wrestler and putting all that aside now that I'm older, just being, a being, a being able to be a mark again, just to think back on some of those things was pretty awesome. Like just to be in the ring and listen to, uh, you know, watch Triple H's entrance, you know, his music hits, because I never got to go to many live WWE shows. Yeah. But just to, just to hear the music hit, him come down, then Batista, he always had great music, you know, and then he did the whatever, the machine gun, or no, I don't think he had, yeah, maybe he did, I don't remember. Yeah. If he had, if he had pyro at that point, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff I miss about being a WWE extra. Even the weird, weird smell of the arena and the pyro, you could always smell. Yeah. Just kind of those smells. Those were always, I don't know, those were good times. I always like going, if I wasn't doing anything, I'd like to go to like the ed- ex- edge of the stage there and watch the entrance live and see like the pop of the crowd. That was always really cool to me. Yeah. Um, I had one dark match my, my time there. I uh, was in Oklahoma, and this is a kind of a whole weird thing because uh, some of this I found out later. I was, um, was going to be... They were they were gonna do like this thing where we were on the stage for a Batista promo later yeah. in the evening. And they told me, "Hey, you have a dark match." I was like, "Okay, you're gonna wrestle Vladimir Kozlov, and he's gonna be a babyface, which he had not been yet." I'm like, okay. And so Mike Rotundo's the agent. He's kind of asking me, like, "Hey, can you throw a punch?" And I was like, "Yeah." Can you throw a <laughs> forearm? I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Are they good?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> I'm like, I'm, "I'm pretty confident in what I can do." It's like, okay, I may have you throw a punch, but it could be a forearm. And I was like, all right. <laughs> like, right. Trying to, like, read the situation, you know. And um, so Kozlov comes up to me, and he kind of tells me what he's going to do. He basically said he's going to give me the big head butt to the chest and keep my chin up so he doesn't knock me unconscious. And I'm like, well, I do appreciate that. <laughs> you know. And basically, there was nothing to the match. It was whatever. It was, like, two minutes long. But uh, because they wanted him to be a baby face, they had him come out first. And they actually had me come out second with music, which was kind of crazy. Um, so that was kind of a fun experience. Like, wow, I actually got an entrance with music and everything. That's super cool. The match was, yeah. nothing, the match was nothing special. But um, that particular day, so you were asking me guys that were jerks. A guy that I would love to point out was a huge jerk, Mark <laughs> Carano. Really? Not a wrestler. He was the head of talent relations when I was there. But he was just an absolute, just a total jerk. And... 
like you never knew what you were going to get with him because we were told go in, check in with Mark Carano, do your paperwork. Okay. So I get there and I'm by myself as far as an extra. There's other extras, but I don't know them. Yeah. And so I, uh, I meet with them. I find them. I'm like, oh, hey, have you guys done your paperwork yet? No, he told us to come back later. Okay. Let's eat. Let's eat real quick. So we ate. Go check out the ring. It's not set up. Oh, should we try our paperwork again? Yeah, let's go try it again. So I, we walk back over there. And, like, no one wants to knock on the door, right? Uh-huh. So finally I'm like, screw it. I'll knock on the door. And he comes, hey, I'm in a meeting. Oh, what are you doing knocking on the door? Like, he just kind of goes off on us. And it's like, oh, we're just here to do our paperwork. Come back later. Come back later. Okay. And so we come back again. This is the third time total. Second time for me. But those guys have been by once. And, like, Again, no one now. No one wants to knock on the door for sure because he's already went off on everybody. And it's like, oh my gosh, what are we like? This is so stupid. Like, you know what I mean? Like, again, right. I mentioned before, as a thirty-eight-year-old, I'd been like, knock, knock, knock. You know, now because I'm like, we have to do this. You know, like you want us to do our paperwork. Like, l- just let us do it. And so finally, we knocked, and he's like, oh, come back later, do it after the show. I'm like, okay. And at this time, I had done it after the show a few times because I'd been an extra a handful of times at this point. So it was nothing un. un- uh, unusual. So we go down to the ring. We do our thing. Um, they ask me that they tell me I'm gonna have the match with Kozlov. And then I, I, I get told like, Hey, uh, you need to go talk to Mark Carano. I was like, Oh, okay. So I thought maybe I'm getting a bump in pace since I'm doing a dark match. Uh-huh. That was not the case. He ha- then hands me my paperwork. He's like, Hey, you have to do this paperwork. I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay, sure. He goes, you have to do this before you get in the ring. And I was like, I'm thinking like, I came by here two or three times to do this. You pushed me back every time. But again, like, like as you know, like, what do you do? Do you defend yourself or just say yes, sir? You know, because you're trying not to ruffle feathers. Do and- you think here's, – here's my psychoanalysis of some of those people. Do you think it's because there's such a hierarchy of legends and personalities? So you got Vince McMahon. You got Undertaker. You know, all these kind of untouchable guys. And it's almost like no one has any real power. Right. So whenever they get the chance, they try to exert that power onto people they know they won't have any repercussions from. <laughs> AKA <laughs> like the extras. The extras, yeah. like the indie guys. For sure. Yeah. Looking Cause, back on cause it. it's like, yeah. Well, I was saying, looking back on it now, it would have been like, I was here three times. <laughs> you pushed me away. So I came back. And I was like, it's not uncommon for me to do it after the show. But I was just like, yes, sir. I found out later. That he actually tried to get me pulled from the dark match because oh of it, goodness. which is like, dude, come on. So it gets worse, though, on this particular occasion. So they also tell me, hey, you have to be a uh, a security guard for Batista. Batista's, and basically the whole bit is Batista comes out of his locker room. He says something to us. He walks down the hall, and we follow in single file on each side. Not groundbreaking television by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what we were told to do. It was going to be a live shot. Then they were going to do a pre-tape. They don't know what to do. And I'm like, so I go up to those producers. I'm like, I'm supposed to have a dark match tonight. Oh, well, we got to do this first. I was like, okay. So I put my boots on, put my gear on, and I have my hair pulled back, which I need to wet down. But other than that, I'm like, all I have to do is put on my wrist tape, and I can take these clothes off, and I should be all right. Granted, trying to take dress pants off, over wrestling boots was not easy, but right. I was like, well, that's, that's all I can do. And so anyway, I'm like getting nervous. Cause those guys, 
they don't care about my dark match. They they want to make sure their segment's good. Yeah. There's only six extras, so I had to do both. And literally, Kozlov starts walking down the hallway in his full getup. And he's like, what are you doing? We have match. <laughs> it's like, they told me to stay here. I was like, I got my gear on underneath. Finally, Rotundo's behind him. He's like, no, 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 no. I need this guy for a match. And so I was able to kind of break away at that point, luckily. So I take my clothes off, wet my hair down, take my wrist, the whole deal. And then very literally, I came back. I, uh, you know, of course, I'm sweaty. So I kind of toweled off a bit, was able to actually change my clothes, take my gear off, take my boots off, um, fix my hair a little bit. And very literally, two hours go by because they did the dark match. They taped superstars or whatever. Then they mm-hmm. started raw. Like they, the guy still had not done anything at this point. Like that's how long this took. All because Vince and Batista could not agree on what Batista was going to say coming out of the hallway. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, the line they ended up agreeing upon was, "But someone knocks on the door." Which it, you see the guy's hand, but you don't even see who it is. Batista opens the door and he goes, "You guys know your role." Stay out of my spotlight. And then he walks down the hall and we follow. So it was like, so that was the Oscar winning role that, or uh, part (laughs) that they ended up landing upon. And we go out on the stage while he does his promo, which is crazy because that's what most people remember. Like, I saw you on the stage. It's like, yeah, that was stupid. (laughs) It sucks so bad. But that's the, that's the weird thing about being an extra man is it's not like, like you said, looking back upon it now. And what's funny, and I don't even know if you know this, but I know a guy here locally that's been an extra here more recently, and they're given a whole guideline of do's and don'ts now. Oh, okay. Like, one of them is like, don't talk to Triple H, don't talk to talent. <laughs> it's like it's it's insane, actually. Kind of, kind of, like, well, now that least, I see it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's even worse. At least they tell you that now, I guess. Yeah. I will say... Uh, uh, Victoria was out of all the people. She was always the nicest for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like she would, she would always like go out of her way. I felt to come up and say, "Hey guys, you know, welcome here." And you know, oh, yeah. I know it's, I know that you're, it's a little nerve wracking today, but you guys are going to do great. Whatever they got you doing, just do your best. And you know, she was always super cool. She, she was like, "Oh, I love your shirt. Like, where'd you get that shirt?" And I was wearing just some Harley Race like wrestling camp shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, just a camp camp I went to." Oh man, do they sell those online? I was like, uh, I don't think so. They don't think they only made like 20, 20 of them. Yeah. I'll give this to you if you want <laughs> <But> this. <laughs> right? No, she was always super cool. Yeah. Uh, Triple H was pretty cool. Little interaction I had with him. Uh, Batista, fine. You know, was really, like I said, there's only a couple of guys that I thought were a little condescending. Um, and then, you know, a few guys who kind of put you in those awkward situations that you have to try to navigate as a 19 or 20 year old. And that's what's weird about it is like, you never know the condescending nature that you're going to get. Like some of them are mm-hmm. cool. Some of them are weird, you know? And it's like, okay. Like you didn't have to say that. Did you? I mean, some guys are just like, Hey, how's it going? And that's perfectly fine. You don't have to like strike up a conversation, but you know, it's just, I don't know. It was always so weird most of the time. So here's something I thought was pretty funny too. This isn't really backstage WWE, but in WLW, I wrestled Chris Masters <clears throat> in a in a triple threat match with uh, Keith Walker. And anyway, we were uh, getting ready to do the match, and we were kind of going over things. And it was it, you had said something that kind of reminded me of it. It was, and I have no idea. I just remember this was kind of the general conversation. 
was he wanted everything start to finish, you know, planned out. And it was like, and we were just going over. So I'd be like, okay, uh, like Chris, okay, okay, Chris, I'm going to back you into the corner. And he's like, whoa, whoa, wait, are you going to punch me or are you going to kick me? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I'll do something. I said, somehow I'll put you in the corner. Well, what are you going to do? Like a punch or a kick? And I was like, I'll punch you. Okay. And then, you know, so it was like breaking it down, like to that level. And I talked to Trevor, uh, cause I can't remember if he was still with WWE at the time, but he had, you know, the next week in training, like, Hey dude, like I wrestled Chris Masters last weekend. And like, he like had to have everything. Like he wanted to know if I was going to punch or kick him. He's like, yeah. He's like, you got to work with guys like that. He's like, they're all up there, you know, at WWE. He's like, some guys are cool. You just go out there and do whatever. Some guys, you got to like literally tell them how many punches you're going to throw. <laughs> That's crazy. Too. And, uh, I was like, I know. I was like, yeah, well, okay. I mean, you would think at that level you could, like JBL, when I wrestled him, granted it was 45 seconds. They told it, they actually told us it would be two or three minutes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and Dean Malenko was our agent. And he said, hey, he just came up to me and JBL. He's like, Hey guys, you know exactly what this is. You know, he's like, John, try to give, try to give him something, you know, let him do a, you know, throw him into the corner, let him give you a back elbow or a boot or something. And then, you know, finish the job. And, and I was like, yep, no problem. You know, and he didn't say anything. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering if he did. No, which was fine. And, uh, so I think anyway, yeah, so we, and, like, this was my first match. It's going to be on SmackDown. But even, like, with the training that I had at Harley, I was totally comfortable with an ice. I'm, like, even at my level, totally green, I can go out there and fake something for two minutes, mm-hmm. you know. Like, it's not – it's nothing. Because he didn't – he was busy doing – like I said, it was the, the week before WrestleMania. Everybody was busy. He didn't even talk to me until about two minutes before we went out. Mm-hmm. We had this little meeting in the afternoon with Dean Malenko, and he just said, hey, this, this, and that. Okay, and then I went and got dressed. I found him. Just uh, you know, I flicked our spot on spot on the card. I just hung around where we would go into Gorilla, just kind of waiting. I was like, well, if he needs to find me, this is where I'll be. So I just hung around there for an hour as SmackDown was starting, and then he came up to me right before the match, and he's like, hey, he said, hey, dude, I'll probably just like back you in the corner, give you some shots, whatever. He said, I'll, I'll call some stuff, and I was like, okay, cool, no problem. You know, like it didn't, I was like, I mean, I was nervous because I was getting ready to, to do something, but I wasn't like freaking out like, oh, I need to find, I need to find Bradshaw. I got to figure out what the heck we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we lock up, he backs me into the corner, gives me some shots. Oh, and as we're backing up, he's like, hey, they cut us down to a minute. This is going to be short. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he just backs me in the corner, gives me some shots. He boots me in the head, gives me a clothesline, gives me another clothesline, you know, and that was it. Yeah. <clears throat> But it's just like, yeah, it's so weird, like, talking to Trevor. Like, some guys, like, you know, the old, I don't even want to say old school, but it's almost like the some of those, I don't know, it's just like they don't get it, they're never going to get it. I have heard, like, Chris Masters has really improved since that time mm-hmm. um, and is pretty good today. But it's kind of like to the point where you have to plan out a punch and a kick. Yeah. It's just crazy. Well, I think some people don't, they don't work like that. And so when you're faced with having to call something on the fly, it's like, well, wait a minute. I've never done this before. And unfortunately I feel like, uh, I always tell, tell people you need, you need to know how to do that. Even if that's not what you do, you need to know, but, uh, we probably ought to spin the wheel here, man, because we are 
we are kind of going over on time. So we have six topics left. Um, I'll kind of go over them. We have the Royal Rumble 1991, the Sandlot, TGIF, the Game Boy, trading cards, and the WWF Brawl for All. So let's see what's uh, happening for next week here. Let's do it. So we have landed on the 1991 Royal Rumble. You've All never, right. Have you ever watched this event? Do you remember this event? I have not. I just remember Sergeant Slaughter. Hogan won the Rumble and Slaughter won the title. So that's about all I remember from it. I do remember that, yes. So uh, we'll uh, we'll dive into that next week. Um, I believe it is uh, your week. Uh, no, it is my, my turn for the plug of the week this week. So... Uh, um, man, there's so many guys I'd like to plug. Actually, I'm going to throw it to a, a fellow wrestler, a guy by the name of Sin Bodie. I don't know if you remember him. He actually briefly wrestled as Kazarni back in the day. Okay. Uh, but he's all over Instagram. He does custom LJNs, if you've not seen them. He does a really, really good job. Oh, is that that? Yeah, I've seen those. I didn't know that was that the same guy. Yeah, he actually just showed off a Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler the other day. So, really cool Yeah, stuff. I saw that. If you're into if you're into LJNs, uh, give him a follow. Um, he's on Instagram, pretty easy to find, and he does awesome work. So that's Kazarni that does those. That is Kazarni, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. But that rounds out our show. Make sure to check out my other podcast, the TB Toycast and Breaker Remains Power Hour. And uh, that's about all I have. And check us out on social media at the Rumble Wheel on all the social media platforms. And we will see you guys next week. <laughs>